Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasilla from Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group, and I'm joined by my friend, co-host and colleague, Peter Bagshaw, GP and clinical lead for mental health. And we're really pleased today to invite uh, and to be joined by Sarah Stacey, uh, who is a founding member of the Guild of Health Writers and has been a health journalist for a little while, Sarah. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes, indeed. I think it's over 35 years on national newspapers and I also worked in documentaries. That's great. Well, it's so great to have you with us. And what we're going to talk about today, the title is Learning to Listen. But just, Sarah, a little bit more about yourself. Um, I'm just going to put it out there that your column, which was the uh, health section in the You magazine of Mail on Sunday and various others, I wonder if you have touched many more people than Peter and I ever have as GPs, that you may have helped millions of people with your health advice over the years. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a huge compliment if I have. I I wrote that column for oh nigh on 20 years. And it's true that I had enormous um, feedback from readers. I always felt that I wrote it um, as if I was talking to my best friends. And I wrote what I would tell my best friends um, if they asked me for help in some way or information. And I've certainly had patients, and I'm sure you have, Andrew, come in clasping their newspaper cut-out health section, uh, which is very helpful. Absolutely. The ones that Sarah's written have always been excellent. So that's great. So, um, Sarah, you've got a wealth of experience and the topic we're going to talk about is learning to listen. So how would you like to help us about that? Well, when I'm thinking about this podcast, I thought, what what do I really care about in terms of communication? I'm, I'm a communicator. That's what I do. And I thought, actually, one of the things that has been the biggest influence, both personally and professionally, is realising the power of listening. And listening is interesting, isn't it? Because I I heard recently a lot of people listen, but they're not really fully focusing. They're kind of almost waiting to jump in with their point. Whereas we were taught something called active listening. And I don't know if that's the sort of listening you're referring to, is it? I think there's two things. I think um, absolutely active listening where you are a participant too. But I also think that what I understood from one experience that I was talking to Andrew about on the weekend was the importance of just giving people time and space to talk in any way they wanted to, which doesn't have to be, for instance, complete sentences. It, you know, they may be fumbling with their thoughts, but to give them that time and space to um, to tell their story. Now, that could be maybe a life story, as it would be um, in a 12-step programme meeting, or maybe it's something that's on their mind today. And I was talking to Andrew about it because I remembered that one of the most uh, key experiences for me is 
oh, it must be nearly 40 years ago now. Um, I was an alcoholic, recovering alcoholic and drug addict, going to an AA meeting. We were having coffee beforehand and a woman I knew a little bit called Anne, and I can see her now, auburn hair, middle-aged, started talking to me over a cup of coffee. And she talked for about eight to 10 minutes without stopping. It wasn't an onslaught, it was just talking. It was obviously about something that was very important to her. And she said to me at the end of it, when we moved off to go into the meeting, thank you so much for what you said. It was so helpful. And I thought, but I haven't said anything at all. And it was a really fascinating lesson for me that actually sometimes not having a speaking role is one of the most important things you can give someone. And I think being a, a listener can be very helpful to people. Um, it allows them to express things. And that includes, doesn't it, sometimes reflecting back things that they've said, sometimes summarising things that they've said and putting it in a different way to show that you've understand it, understood it. And sometimes just allowing spaces so that, that people don't feel pressure. Are there any other tricks like that that you've learned or hints that will help make us better listeners? Well, I think you're absolutely right about those. What I'd say is that um, for me, it's creating a clear pathway between you and the person you're listening to so that you're not putting blocks in the way. I mean, you know, the obvious one is jumping in. Oh, I know what you're going to say and interrupting. Or I've got something more important that I could tell you about that. Um, but it's also, you know, not judging in any way or moralizing in any way and almost more important I think not advising in any way because actually the the power of listening is in allowing other people to express their thoughts I mean it, it's fine if as you say um in your job uh, as a as a doctor and in mine as a journalist, you might want to reflect back to people um, what you think they've said. And, you know, I think that's part of active listening. But I think also, and, and you touched on this, it's very important not to try and finish people's sentences um, so that they have the space to to explore their own thoughts which may not be may not come naturally to them um when i was sponsoring people in aa um and you know the aa sponsor system where the um ones who've, who've been around for some time try and help younger people i mean younger in recovery um i used to say to them look you know I, i'm just here to listen to you. You don't have to talk in proper sentences. You can just let time go by. You can grunt at me. You can hmm. And when you have something you you feel you can commit communicate in words, um, you need know, do that. That's very interesting. And and it sounds simple, but it's not, is it? 
It, it, we are so keen to jump in and give our own view. Uh, another thing that we used to teach medical students when I was uh, a clinical tutor at, uh, at Bristol was the idea of acceptance, of universal acceptance, rather than being judgmental. Is, is that something that you feel is important when you're acting as a listener? Oh, hugely important. And for instance, I was um, interviewing somebody quite recently, a woman who was the subject of coercive control. Um, in other words, her uh, lover and then husband had exercised this extraordinary degree of uh, psychological, mental and physical control over her. And I... I could listen to what she was saying. It was like somebody who was being beaten up 24-7 in one way or another. And you feel like saying, but look, you're you're beautiful, you're you're clever, you were um, you know, you had a good job, and yet you let this happen to you. And I had to stop myself interrupting and saying, why? Why? Why did you you say this? And of course, that meant that she could actually talk to me um, unhindered for a long time and really explain what, what had happened and how she felt. That's really interesting, Sarah. And I'm finding themes coming to me uh, that you're showing that in that space of listening, you're providing stillness from yourself, you're providing presence, you're present for the other, to, other person, and giving them uh, utmost attention. And, and, and so often, Peter, as, as you were sort of alluding to earlier, that we, we listen competitively. Uh, and I suspect that happens partly because we're curious, partly because we problem solve, and partly because we want to go, as it were, and uh, a lot of us as children had to compete for airtime or uh, at times. So, so it's 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 not something that happens by accident. Good listening, or or is it something, Sarah, that could happen by accident? I think it is, and you know, we're we're talking here about our various professional lives, but it could be, you know, the person you meet on a train. Um, <laughs> I think it rather ran in the family this because my grandmother, whenever you met her off a train, would um, say, "Oh, I met this most fascinating woman, man, boy, girl," and they would have told her their life stories because she was interested. And because I think, now I look back on it, she, she was very gracious and graceful in her manner. And I think she would have intimated to people that somehow her being interested in them um, was, was paying them a compliment, was respecting them. I do think there's... There's a thing about respect as well. Um, and I know you worked in prisons, Andrew, as I've done. And one of the things that I did was two slender volumes with prisoners, current and past, called Tales from the Landings and More Tales from the Landings. And what I found there was that for the prisoners, um, Telling their life story helped them make sense of what had happened. And very often, as you know, that was 
chaos in a lot of different ways. I also found, and I worked with other journalists on this, that we would write down their stories and give them a shape and send them back to them. And funny enough, I think that was perhaps the greater comfort because it allowed them to, I always said it allowed them to sort of pat the unmolded butter into shape so that they could see their lives could have structure. And there was a wonderful guy called Danny. I, I mean, I have absolutely no memory if indeed I ever knew what he was in for. But when I was reading him back his story over the phone and both of us ended up in tears. And he was so sweet because he said to me, and so, you know, how awful, are you all right? And I thought, that's extraordinary. He's now, he's now reaching out to me to, to worry about me. And actually, that demonstrated an empathy that I think had been missing before. How very interesting. Thank you. So it's a, it's, it's a skill set that can be used in many scenarios. And when I used the word accident earlier, I, I suppose I was saying that the skill set is not wielded, is not used by accident. It's, you, some people might be good at it, but it, it, it sounds from what you're saying as, as not only are you an expert at it, but there are ingredients such as the humility, the presence, the respect, the stillness that, that we can bring to bear in our listening as well as our curiosity and our interest in others. And then that, that attention that we give people, that unconditional attention, sometime, somehow seems to permit something transformational to happen. And, and you mentioned that it's, a, it's the removal of blocks and maybe it's, it's helping the removal of blocks for the other person to tell their story. I think that could very well be too, and maybe Peter has something to say about that. Um, yes, I, I, I mean, I, I do think that's um, that's helpful. I spent uh, um, a day recently with two great women friends of mine, um, one of whose husbands had just died, and we spent the time talking and listening to each other. And I came back feeling, I, I, I wouldn't like to say transformed, but certainly that something had given me a degree of energy and clarity and a great sense of being part of... Um, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm sort of fumbling with what it is, but you know how when you really connect with people, there is, actually, you're quite right, it is transformational, really, truly connecting with people, entering into their lives and their being and their doing is an extraordinarily important and life-enhancing thing. You invited me to comment and again coming back to professionally and having taught communication skills it, it's something that I've thought about for a while 
giving somebody uh, a doctor to patient that complete focus and concentration and acceptance can make the consultation go in a completely different way. And there's evidence showing that patients will come in often with something that they're not quite sure whether they're going to raise. It's a bit embarrassing. It's worrying them. It's upsetting them. So they'll, they'll come in with, with some sort of innocent uh, other symptom. And then depending how the, the doctor responds, they may come out with what really bothers them. And I think this is not just relevant to GPs. It's relevant in real life as well. Is that, is that something that rings true to you? To me, absolutely. And um, I was just thinking that also, I was with um, uh, a dermatologist quite recently who is not in this country. And um, he told me, he's he's quite a sort of feisty chap who's very clear about his um, own uh, qualifications, credentials, experience, etc. And he suddenly looked at me and said, you know, you're the the first journalist who's actually sat and looked me in the eye. And Andrew, I think, or Peter, I'm sorry, I can't remember, asked if there were any sort of tips. And one of the things that I think is actually to make eye contact, but not aggressive eye contact. You want to be able to rest your eyes on the other person and also not to turn away. You know how, because we tend to be lacking in self-confidence or not quite certain what to do we we slightly turn away from people and I found that actually even if I'm on the phone interviewing somebody there seems to be a metaphorical way in which you can you you can face them straight on Sarah, that's so important and uh, so important for those of us who sit in consulting rooms with computers because the computer is like a like a, a petulant child sometimes that needs to be fed and it's almost a third person in the room and it's a it's a challenge for some of us to uh, to make sure we're not feeding the computer uh, and and actually focus on the person but that's the key thing uh, and i have to say i had the graces of admiration for anyone who can type let alone touch type let alone type their notes whilst talking whilst taking a history and examining people but because i haven't got that skill i have to do it all later but uh, interesting peter you've got you might have some comments there uh, yes i was just thinking that that happens in everyday life now more and more where we all have mobile phones on us don't we and and listening to somebody, do you, if somebody's talking to you and your mobile phone bleeps, do you look at that? I, to me, that that breaks that active listening. Uh, so it's very important that when you day to day are listening to somebody, you give them 100 percent focus. And do you agree, Sarah, or am I being unrealistic? <laughs> no, I think you're being totally realistic. Um, it's it's very uh, tempting to look at your phone or your iPad or whatever. Um, but I think that, I mean, I I think that if you're actually um, having a meeting with somebody or a meal with somebody or whatever, you actually really ought to be encouraged to put your phone in a bin and leave it there until you're over. Um, but I think social media has hugely changed the way that all of us communicate. But um, when I was organising an epidemic, um, an, uh, an event for the Guild quite recently on anxiety, particularly among young people, 
what emerged was um, the problem with social media and the fact that um, children, teens, younger people nowadays don't think of communicating in person, they think of communicating online. Really interesting, and it can jar sometimes culturally. I think there's a there's a there's a picture by a famous artist. I can't quite remember. It might be Jack Vetriano, but I can't remember of of two two lovers embracing, and their hands are one arm is round the other, but the other hand has their mobile phone. They're not looking each other in the eyes. They're actually looking at their phones. And uh, machines and devices that go ping always reminds me of the Monty Python sketch, the machine that goes ping, which I think is required required watching for any um, health professional. <laughs> But um, levity aside, lightness aside, um, Sarah, have there been any times of difficulty for you when somebody listening to you or a particular conversation made a difference in your journey in life? Oh, yes, hugely. I mean, um, as I said earlier, I was an alcoholic and drug addict. That was about 45 years ago. Um, but getting to the point of ringing Alcoholics Anonymous was um, crossing the Rubicon for me, and the fact that a woman the other end of the phone listened to me and identified with what was happening and, and asked me to go to a meeting that night, an AA meeting, NA hadn't started at that point, um, was the most enormous breakthrough. And I always remember it, the end of it. I was so nervous, you know, we'd all been sitting there, we'd gone through the meeting and everybody was clearing the chairs away. And I was sort of paralyzed with sort of anxiety, lack of confidence, whatever. And a sweet guy came over to me and put his hand out and said, would you, would you like to get up and have a cup of tea? And the fact that he put his hand out to me and invited me to have a cup of tea with him was one of the memories that I will have forever. Equally, um, and we've talked about this, Andrew, as well, in, in um, connection with opioids. I was um, prescribed opioids after an accident about 20 years ago, and that led to a year of deep depression. Um, during And when I was coming out of that, I found it was incredibly difficult to talk normally to people. And I remember somebody inviting me for um, coffee down by the beach in Lyme Regis, and we just, it was um, a couple, and we just had an ordinary conversation. I can't even remember what it was about. But it that, again, was a light bulb moment where I realised that actually I could come out of this horrible black hole of depression, which was drug-induced, though I didn't know it at the time. And that I could get back to sort of being ordinary, really. That's incredibly powerful. And thank you for sharing that. We talked about the benefits 
of listening to somebody for from the point of view of the person being listened to. But I think there are also benefits for the listener, aren't they? I mean, one of my great privileges as a GP is to hear so many stories from, from patients over the years and to be allowed into their lives. And, and if you listen carefully, you become much more interested in the other person and it, it becomes a much more rich, rewarding experience than just everyday chatting. Do, do you agree? Oh, absolutely, totally. I was talking to um, a woman the other day who is doing a presentation at, a, at a, an event I'm involved with. She still suffers from anxiety after 36 years of being on um, antidepressants um, and other drugs she's now awesome she got awesome through art actually interestingly um as a form of social prescribing but because i was able to listen to her and um identify with her about anxiety um she was able to tell me that she felt very worried about um for instance getting the tube train etc in london because she lives in in the north and I'm not quite certain how we got there but I talked about my rescue horses I have a, an extremely expensive habit of rescuing um, horses I had five now I have two and I discovered that she loved horses and both in connection with what you said. I mean, I do think it's a total privilege to be allowed into people's lives in that way. I, I mean, I really do. It's, it, and especially if you've had the sort of background that I had where you were, you, you know, helpless and hopeless and really, really, truly felt that nobody liked you or could love you. To have people wanting to talk to you, wanting to share their thoughts and their anxieties and their feelings with you is it's extraordinary. I mean, it, it just makes you feel different. It makes you feel you have a purpose um, and that you can help um, both them and yourselves and other people. It's a little bit like when you're listening to music, isn't it? You can either let it wash over you and it's this bland sound, or you can listen intently and enter into it, and then it becomes a much richer experience. And to me, at least, the same thing happens with people. I don't know if, if that's something you relate to. Yes. I mean, I love music, and it's profoundly important to me, and I absolutely see what you're saying. Um, I, I, I think there is a, a joy in this two-way communication. <laughs> um, and it's very often unpredictable. Um, you, you, don't, you don't know what you're get, going to get out of it. And I'm sure you find that too. But I mean, it was extraordinary with, with this woman. A, she said that she'd always loved horses from a little girl. Um, and so I sent her pictures of my horses and she came back and, you know, she was so delighted with it. And somehow it was lovely that we could share that delight. That's fascinating, Sarah. Thank you so much. So we're, I'm sort of hearing a themes of 
connection with another person um, of stillness, um, connection with music or connection with something bigger than ourselves. And I was interested that you were sitting at Lyme Regis. So there's 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 a connection with nature that can be a backdrop for us. And, and in the two way, uh, if I say dialogue, I don't mean dialogue because it, one, as you said uh, near the start, you could be listening for eight or nine minutes and not say anything. And the other person then says, thank you for making it so clear. And a number of us have had that privilege of, of, of people saying that to us. There's a giving and a receiving. And when we feel heard, when we feel understood, perhaps it makes it easier for us to, to give context to our story, to give meaning to our story, and perhaps, perhaps to see a way forward sometimes. I think that's absolutely right. And also, I would add in there, and we haven't really talked so much about that, but um, listening to what other people ask you. And I always remember years and years and years back, there was a television series called The Ascent of Man by somebody called Jacob Bronowski, which you might remember. And when he was asked a question, he didn't answer immediately. He listened and thought, he listened to the question and clearly thought about the answer. And again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, about jumping in and interrupting. I think in this speedy age that we live in, we tend to act like bullet trains sometimes. And in fact, we could take ourselves off to a, a branch line and just poodle along very slowly for a bit. And oh, absolutely all the things that we've said are important, but I'm thinking here of very much communicating with my horses and, um, you know, they do communicate as you know, Andrew, because you've met them. Um, but what happens with them, and I, I talk to them a lot, I tell them what's going on, I ask them if they've had a good day, and I don't make up comments and conversation from them, but I, uh, I guess I intuit what, what, what might be going on with them. And they know me very well indeed, and I know them, and they're very responsive. Um, and I'm just thinking about my my late lamented big thoroughbred um, Basil, who'd had a very sad life, and when he came to me, um, was not a happy chap. But over the years, he got used to you. He would he would make a beeline and come talk to me, and he would actually sort of come across with tremendous purpose across the field and stand and want to be talked to. And then he would go, that's enough then, and turn around and go off. And it was such an interesting process. Um, and you realise that there's all, all sorts of different ways in which we can communicate with the natural world. I think that's a really important point that what you're talking about isn't just listening to other people. It's, it's listening to the world, being in the moment, being mindful that we often go on about, giving that attention to what's around us. And if we can do that, the world becomes a much richer place. 
sadly, Andrew, I think we're out of time and we have to stop listening uh, to you, Sarah, don't we? We, we do, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you, Peter. And, and thank you, everybody who's been listening. And I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Thank you, everybody. Go well. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.